So, any questions tonight? Yes. Yeah. I was wondering if you could go over the, the difference between compassion from a material standpoint, compassion from a spiritual standpoint towards someone in a material disposition, and also, um, I think you mentioned recently in a class, Karuna Rasa, which is different from both those two. Well, um, I think that uh, we could look at material compassion as a as a shadow of real compassion. Real compassion meaning compassion with knowledge of the real predicament or the plight of someone. We are compassionate for others in situations of distress um, or need, and um, the extent to which we understand their need and their and their plight um, has some bearing obviously on the extent to which we can be compassionate and so for the most part materially speaking we find that people suffer and uh, we have suffered similarly in any number of ways from hunger from infirmity from loss of a friend, uh, and so on and so forth. Excuse me. Um, but we, um, or the, the transcendentalist, I should say, the, at the same time um, understands that these problems, these uh, symptoms of suffering, are symptoms of one particular disease. And that's why he or she is a transcendentalist. Transcendent by a transcendentalist, I mean they have a certain perspective on on life, and um, that's why I've said, for example, in my my book, uh, we are concerned as transcendentalists not with solving the problems of the world, but the world of problems, the world idea of the world. It's the cause of the problems, which is the attachment that accrues from the from from ignorance that causes me, as the unit of consciousness, to identify with matter. So th- there's the root. So someone who has that worldview then is is a transcendentalist, and from that perspective, then he or she will see the various sufferings that they themselves have gone through at some time, and may still go through uh, to, to some extent, um, to be symptoms, if you will, of a disease. And so um, we want to, uh, transcendentalists want to treat the disease uh, rather than the symptoms, or treat the symptoms in the context of treating the disease. And so they're preoccupied with that, um, again, in the context of, do, of of being involved in that, working for the welfare of all, so to speak, hmm? um, even while that may appear to be only working on yourself. But if the if the problem is, if you can save one person from from the disease, right? If there's a plague and you can save one person from the disease, one person will survive. 
then you sometimes you have to evaluate well where you how you can spend your energy if I can't save everyone but I can save this one so I'll, I'll do that so to save yourself so to speak which then obviously the more that we um, preoccupy ourselves with that the, the better we are in a position to help others because the better we understand the problems of others and the problems of the world to be again symptoms of the disease of ignorance arising from that uh, correspond with attachment hmm? and really the pursuit of enduring happiness which everyone's in pursuit of as I often say in relation to temporary things that don't endure so that's uh, ignorance we do it to some extent too because this, we, although we're transcendentalists theoretically we're, we're sadhikas so um, that comes into play sadhika's life is a, is, a, is a work in progress but still, we have the theoretical knowledge, and we sit and we discuss it, and so forth, to to strengthen our um, resolve in, in in this regard, and in that way, be more committed, really, to the welfare of all. As the Bhagavad Gita speaks of um, the, uh, the the transcendentalist, um, again, his compassion for all um, doesn't as readily show up. Hmm. as if he opened a soup kitchen to help hungry people and so forth. But he or she, nonetheless, the transcendentalist, is working for the benefit of all by um, trying to solve the... He's one of the problems of the world. <laughs> so if you think, well, solve this one here. I'm one of the problems. I am the problem. Or my, per- my perception is the problem. So uh, let me, uh, uh, doctor, you know, cure, cure thyself for me. Um, um, be kind to myself, so to speak. And then as much as you're doing that, then you are in a position to help people, even unknowingly, even even without trying, would be the idea, the theory. The more that one is actually um, absorbed in, consumed by the transcendental pursuit, the more... In our school, they're coming under uh, the influence of the Chit Shakti, of the Srup Shakti of Bhagawan. And so you're then in touch with that person. It's not like being in touch with an ordinary material person. They may look, talk the same, and so forth in many respects, but they're working under a, a, a different, um, um, within the context of a different perspective. With um, and, and really to one extent or another, under the influence of the Srup Shakti. The Srup Shakti has the power to um, turn, to, to bring about a transmutation, if you will. Just like in the Catholic faith, there's the idea of the transmutation. I think they refer to transubstantiation. Same idea that the wine and the water somehow turns into the body and the blood of. Christ, so uh, we have a similar idea, different, but uh, but that, that the the material senses, it's said, for example, in the Purana, that Tahashi Krishna Namadi Nabavit Grahimindrai, that with material senses you cannot see Krishna, you cannot apprehend him, you can't serve him. Sevan Jivado Swayam So, but by developing the serving ego, which means 
availing ourselves to the descending path of knowledge and the opportunity of bhakti and the angas of bhakti hmm, that are empowered. They're empowered activities, empowered sounds, the mantras, the names of God, and so forth. Um, and um, um, the result of engaging in bhakti is that our our how are, how is the sadhak able to perceive God and have the experience of God through bhakti? So if you can't see God with with material senses, then your spiritual your senses must be becoming spiritualized. Is the idea, and so there's power in the divine sound in the Veda, and there's power in bhakti to to transform the mind. Uh, the Gita says the mind is the enemy of the conditioned soul and his friend as well. So there's you in here, and you can change your mind. Hmm? Again, the, the Atma does have is is an agent of action. So we we know we, our mind tells us to do something, um, and we there's something in there ourselves. We this is this this is the sadness. No, you know we. When those things are happening, you're actually alive. That's the dynamic, and you should see it like that. That's the struggle. Senses and mind and your material scars are calling on you, but because your intelligence has been saturated with with bhakti, then you're you're responding with it. You inside the the atma is responding and. And discriminating, and there's this somewhat of a little bit of a struggle, right? Mm-hmm. So that's a really good time. You could say, "I'm actually alive here. I'm not just a, an automaton, you know, under the modes of nature, and they're just doing everything, and I'm just there like a mudha." The Gita says, "Prakriti kriyamanani gunai kanarmani sarvas mudatma." Vimuda, muda means like an ass, a fool. Vimuda means very foolish. The Atma thinks himself to be doing things that are actually done by the modes of material nature. But the next verse says, speaks about somebody who's coming out from under the modes of nature. So the jiva is a doer and more becomes free from the modes of nature and comes under the influence of the modes of bhakti, the mode of bhakti. Then, the fact that he is a doer, a unit of, of, of will, comes out and he, he exercises and so forth. So, this um, this uh, makes the uh, the devoted transcendentalist, the devotee, a um, a different kind of person to run into with different thoughts, spiritualized thoughts, spiritualized intelligence. Um, actions and so on and so forth it becomes an agent, really, of of bhakti. Mm-hmm. It takes some time for that to be a powerful agent and, and influence and so forth. But the point being that by dedicating ourselves to such, we do um, at the same time deal with the problems of the world and become by way of becoming a a solution. Because there is no solution other than rising above the perception of a world of problems, that angle of vision, rising above it. Hmm? Um, so, as I often say, I mean, feeding people does not stop, stop hunger. 
well, in any in enduring sense. In a couple hours, they'll be hungry again. We're not against helping people on, in, on, on a material level. Um, um, but Hinduism and Vaishnavism as well is very much about also taking responsibility for, for action. So that's, that's very much behind the idea of karma. Everyone's responsible. Everyone has some responsibility. And so to educate them and, uh, and so forth and get them to change their lives, hmm. to change suffer, to end suffering. So, you know, you have this, uh, the more you have this uh, knowledge, the more you are a transcendentalist, the more you are involved in a more far-reaching sense of compassion or a more far-reaching sense of um, alleviating the problems. It's not, I mean, uh, foolish people will look at it sometimes as being um, impervious to suffering, uh, um, uh, hmm? hard-hearted or something um, like that. but really, everybody, I think, um, on on some level, is making a determination where to apply themselves with regard to being kind and 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 identifying with suffering and so forth. People can complain about foolishly about a transcendentalist not being involved in helping people because he's just at the ashram meditating and calling it people's karma or something. But I mean, he he is seeing it suffering. As due to a person's karma, that each individual is, is responsible for their for their fate ultimately, um, and um, and he seeks to educate about that and create an environment where people can can learn about that and, and so on and so forth. It's not that he that he doesn't f- feel the pinch that, that, that you know when he sees the suffering of others because he's had experience of it. As well, um, he's not, uh, I guess, you know, impervious to it. He's not hard-hearted, but he makes a decision. She makes a decision where I'm going to apply myself, and everybody does that. Even the people complaining about the transcendentalists, they make that determination somewhere because you just can't go and help every bug, every microbe, and um, and they're all suffering. So you're going to make a determination. You say, "Well, plants suffer less than humans, than, than animals." So I'll be a vegetarian, for example. Okay, but you've just drawn a line somewhere. So everyone's drawing the line somewhere, right? In terms of how much they can help, where they can apply themselves, and from the bugs' point of view, or from the plants' point of view, it says, "Man, you know, great." <laughs> doesn't doesn't feel compassionate to me. Hmm? Ouch! Right. Um, so, but, but everyone's doing that somewhere. Hmm? Now, we're doing it in a way that is not just, that, that, that is at the same time, we're drawing a line, at the same time, we are actually working for the benefit of all in a comprehensive way. We're making, a, we're, 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 we're thinking that our idea is, as for, for the Gita, for example, this is a way, if I want to be, comprehensively involved in ending suffering as a compassionate devotee would, this is the way to do that. The other way, you just have to draw the line here and somebody's going to suffer. And some, so I'm drawing the line here, but in drawing the line here, 
it's a different line that you're drawing altogether. You're drawing a line between treating symptoms and treating the disease. People may not agree with you that, that, that that's the disease and argue and, and, and so forth and not be transcendentalists. Well, that's fine. They, can, they have their idea. Then, then let them go out and complain about how we're not helping the suffering of others, uh, how we may be um, you know, hard-hearted towards it and so forth. And, uh, and then we'll see what they're doing to stop suffering. What, what exactly are they doing? Hmm? And a lot, of, most people aren't doing very much at all about it. I mean, I've given an example before. Sometimes people become atheistic because they think if there was a God, how could He allow suffering to go on in the world? Right? And so they give up on the idea that there's God. But are they really bothered about the suffering of the world? Is that what really is bothering them? I mean, if it is, what are they doing about it? Do they go out and and, and dedicate their whole life to help the su- people's su- suffering? Usually not. <laughs> hmm? Usually not. They just get, they they're, they're, they are plugged into it, and, um, and uh, so they create other problems by that also. Hmm? You know. And, you do away with God, or you do away with the transcendent. You do away with the spiritual, the supernatural. Then, uh, you, then you really do do away with even a theoretical, comprehensive solution to the suffering of the world. You don't even have a theoretical one how to how to how to do it. At least it's this theoretically <laughs> uh, it solves solves all the problems. Goes to the root. If you take away the transcendent. Then there's there's no there's no there's not even again there's not even a theory you can say communism will solve all the problems well that's been tried you know I mean it's like you know it doesn't even deal with animals at all right mm-hmm. um, this political position that political position a scientific endeavor will solve, you know, I suppose we could think the scientific endeavor will solve all the problems, will stop all the suffering at some point. I mean, I, I, I really doubt any anybody in medicine or science really, really believes that they're, uh, that the, I guess they think that they're doing the best they can. Anyway, we have a, a theory, and we also apply ourselves in relation to the theory, and it's a long um, history of uh, um, saints that we have, and and it's our perspective. We draw the line where we're going to apply ourselves in terms of dealing with suffering of others or being compassionate, and everybody else does also somewhere along the way. Hmm. Um, so we're not any different. In fact, we are different in another way where we draw the line is in pursuit of, of a comprehensive solution. And it's very courageous, and it requires a, a lot on our part. This is not you're just a breeze here in life. You know, it's a, again, you, you know, the mind is drawing on you the senses. That's ignorance, attachments. And you have to hear the Gita inside and train your, your subtle body to become your friend. And you're doing the training. The help of the of the, of the sacred texts by volunteering to cooperate with them, and then the mind, the intelligence, eventually the chitta, 
they become purified. They be, and they work spirit. They start to work spiritually. They work in the interest of the self. It takes time. Hmm? But if you can master that, obviously, then you can master the senses as well, right? And again, if you can't, it's difficult to master the mind. So get in there and cook and offer the you know, artik and do things with your senses for Krishna. External bhakti, internal bhakti. So this, this is the divide here. Hmm? There's material compassion and then there's spiritual compassion. And I would say that material compassion is included within um, spiritual compassion in the larger, in the larger picture. Hmm? Whereas... Um, the material idea of compassion, it uh, it doesn't um, um, uh, offer us a comprehensive solution, and um, it it's um, in ignorance of the uh, disease and treats only the symptoms. That's our um, conviction, and so again, the example is there. If you water the tree at the root, all the branches, leaves, will be, will be nourished. If you try to pour it on each leaf, you'll run out of water. Or you'll need an awfully big ladder and you might fall off and all kinds of problems. But just go to the root, pour the water there. Then you can make a comprehensive solution. So that's the spiritual compassion. Pouring water on every leaf is the material idea. Obviously, if you pour water on the root, all the leaves are benefited. Mm-hmm. You can pose the tree a little bit too here and there, mm-hmm. right? But uh, it's beef fed and nourished at the root. So material compassion is included within the spiritual compassion. So if somebody wants to really, really honestly be a compassionate person, mm-hmm. and not just talk about it and complain about how somebody else isn't, which is a lot of what goes on but actually do something. There's just a lot of people behind a keyboard criticizing and so forth, but who's out there doing something, trying to make a change, actually involved in it, spending their time. They have to sacrifice their time. They have to put aside their work and their personal interests and so forth, the interests of others. Hmm. Um, I mean, you could, you, you could do it by making a vote, I suppose, but that, that's, that's not, not to do much. <laughs> To be honest with you, hmm. um, so if you are, I guess my point is really concerned, and you're really moved by the suffering of others, you're going to become receptive to what we're talking about. Hmm. That's a fact. Um, the people who are actually on the ground—I've said this before—on the ground, actually doing the work of helping people, materially speaking, feeding the poor, um, helping the hurricane victims, um, the uh, earthquake victims, in Haiti or Nepal, this or that. Go, and cr- go across the world, go look and see, and you'll see they're religious people, mm-hmm. largely. There are some non-religious people, but the, also the people, percentage-wise, that are actually on the ground doing that work are people with a spiritual, some type of spiritual um, worldview. So they'll be open to what we're talking about and be be better able to identify with it for what it is and what we say it is. 
because they're to some extent also involved in that. I mean, you have some religions that identify helping the people of the world with serving God. John save, Hari save. Serving man is, serving people is serving God. That's a sentence a lot of people. Even in India you have ideas that John save, Hari save. save the, serving the people is serving God. Hmm. Uh, there, there's some truth to that. But we want to go a little deeper. And, and you will find a number of transcendentalists in different schools in India, they do things like they do open hospitals, they get extra money, they open um, feeding places and other things. They do those, those, those kind of things. Um, uh, so it's an evidence that they have compassion for the, for the immediacy of the suffering, even while on a larger level, uh, in a larger picture of things, they're working to eradicate the ignorance that's the, that's the cause of suffering. We as devotees, you know, we, we devotees are famous for feeding the poor with Mahaprasadam. Hmm. That kind of thing. It's, it's, it's a way that you can combine, combine both, so to speak. Um, um, but again, people who are actually doing doing work, um, I think they can um, more readily identify with what we're doing, even if they're, from our perspective, treating more of the symptoms than they are disease. They'll be receptive to what we're talking about, where some people just get beyond their computer and, you know, and uh, criticize. I've seen some of that recently, so it's a little bit on my mind. But this is the difference now. The third thing that you're talking about is karuna rasa. So karuna rasa is one of the secondary rasas. As I said the other night, there's five primary rasas. Shanta, shanta, dasya, sakya, vatsalya, madhurya, and different divisions within those, right? And there are seven secondary rasas. And the, the difference between these primary emotions that are kind of self-defining and the secondary rasas is that the secondary rasas can define one for some time, but then they recede. So, again, I've given the example of in Sakirasa, Hasya, in the secondary rasa that often shows up in joking and comedy, and Krishna's coward friends are holding their bellies and rolling on the ground, bursting with laughter and so forth. So it takes over them. They're still friends of Krishna, that's still who they are, but their, their friendship has receded at the background, and they're just laughing, joking, hmm. And uh, and then that will will recede. Mm. So it has the power to dominate for some time. Mm. It won't dominate over a primary rasa, primary rasa, but will cause the primary rasa to go to the background a little bit. Mm. And um, so it's the secondary rasas are different from sanchari bhavas. Sanchari bhavas are also called vyabhichari bhavas. Same same thing. They come and go, they augment the dominant rasa. Hmm? But the difference between them and, the, see, these secondary rasas are kind of in between. Hmm? These, the the sanchari uh, bhavas don't have the power to dominate in the way that a secondary uh, rasa does. But the secondary rasa doesn't have the power to dominate in the way that the primary rasa does. You understand? 
So they're kind of in between the sancharis and the stayis, the stayi bobs. But they are considered um, secondary um, rasas. So, um, so karunya is one of them. It means it means compassion, um, but uh, it's um, it's a, a good example of it is in in, in parental affection. So, because when you're compassionate to someone, then they are the object of your compassion. So, to have Krishna as the object of your compassion, like he's the object of your friendly love, or the object of your romantic love, the object of your vatsalya, now if you're going to have karunya rasa with him, he's going to be the object of your compassion. But he's God. So, that's peculiar, Right? To be, we'll think that God should be compassionate to us. You have the devotee becoming compassionate to, to God. But you can see how this can play out when God is is appearing like the child of Mother Yasoda and Nanda, and they are in a superior position or as elders hmm? uh, in the community and so forth. We are going to um, uh, more readily experience this this type of uh, transcendental sentiment centered. On Krishna, you follow. Mm-hmm. So that's um, obviously very different than material compassion, and different than the, than the general uh, spiritual compassion, which I have spoken of as something that you have to pass through, not leave behind, but but um, pass through, um, and of course it carries with you. Yeah, but pass through in order to enter into rasa. So it's it's the low end of the spectrum of love, compassion for the world and people of the world and the condition of the world doesn't have much application in transcendence itself. Right? If you're transcendental to the world and you're in Leela with Krishna, well, yeah, it's not really preoccupied with the world very much. This world. Um, it's possible, of course, if you're a saint and people pray to you, you can be in the leela and and, uh, and still be a exp- express have compassion for them and experience their 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 petitions and so forth. If that wasn't true, then why we pray to the saints, right? They're in the leela, but still. They have the capacity, like Krishna does. He's in Leela, but he can hear our prayers. So, to some extent. But it doesn't have its application in transcendence itself. You understand? Everybody's liberated there. Other than, like we say, Karunya Rasa, that's that's a different thing. But it's very much part of the uh, devotion, devotion, devotee's life, Kripa Sindhubye, which... uh, they're ocean, ocean of compassion, bancha kalpa turubhyasya, kripa sindhubhya. They're a sindhu, ocean of kripa of mercy. They are the kripa shakti of Bhagavan, the devotees, that agency by through whom he, he shows compassion to people of the world. It's a secondary quality of bhakti. As Vishwanath Chakritakar has explained, tikshiva karunika suhila sabadeena. 
these qualities are, are given in Bhagavatam. Does that help? Yeah. And and also it's it's important. I mean, we we have this human heart, and we're nat- the devotees naturally kind-hearted, soft-hearted towards people, and so forth. And then there's transcendence that he or she pursues, and and there's there's a chance where the human heart, material compassion, can get in the way of your pursuance of transcendence, and you can become. Sentimental and emotionally disposed towards the suffering of others in a way that um, that um, constitutes a departure from the transcendental culture. You see this sometimes. Devotees are very preoccupied with uh, the suffering of animals and so forth. Nobody wants to see animals suffer. No devotee. Um, but there's a difference between animal rights group and and bhakti. Hmm. There are different worldviews. Some places they, you know, they they meet, and some places they um, depart. Also, a lot of the animal describes groups. I don't know all their philosophy, but they they, they seem to be against domestication of animals. And, uh, domestication of animals is part of our our culture. We think it benefits us. We think it benefits the animals, and, and so forth. So to give you an example. And in the context of domesticating animals, um, there are things that you're going to do that some people in animal rights movements might think are bad because they have a certain, you know, they have their idea. They have their human idea of what it means to be an animal and how an animal should be treated. Hmm? We refer to the Shastra. while, While a lot of animal rights people have identified with and pointed out the, the extent to which people cause suffering to animals, which is just, it's, it's, it's mind-boggling. And that's a great, um, um, a good thing to do, um, no doubt. Um, but then a lot of them have no experience of animal husbandry, either working with animals, what's it like, and, I mean, you know, um, our, our cows, for example, are, or when they're sick, there's somebody taking care of them. In the wild, nobody would be taking care of them. Yes, they give us milk, and yes, we take care of them, and we have this, we have a relationship. Um, they, they, some people might think, well, they're, they're your slaves; they should be let free, you know, um, to run, you know, and forage and. You know, we don't agree with that necessarily. We we think that they're they're better off in this situation. They're well, they're loved. They're, and there's a bond between the devotees and and the cows, and and so on and so forth. So, and then you know, there's the there. You, then you can lose sight of who is the Godhead. What is he? Have, what? How much is he involved in human suffering? We've talked about that before. He's transcendental to human suffering. He has no experience of human suffering or human joys. That's why he's God. That's why he can be a solution to the problem because human joys and sufferings arise out of ignorance and attachment to begin with. And so, you know, you can you have to be a little careful because you can lose sight of the whole core issue. Again, the disease that we're, we're trying to uproot. And... Um, 
you want to grow a personhood um, on the ground, if you will, the fertile ground of the of the of the shastra, which separates us out from our own ideas about ourselves and the world and how things should be, and so coming under God's idea, and that's why learning the tattva is about getting a spiritual personality and a spiritual body. It's not some separate thing. Oh, the tattva is not important. We want the bhava. The tattva is important. So, your own ideas. I'm amazed because I was in this conversation on a group of Prabhupada's disciples and somebody asked the question that how is it that um, I think, uh, she said, I think that nobody would really inquire about the meaning of their existence and the purpose of life unless there was a pure devotee in the world to make that all happen. And I said, well, actually, that's not accurate. Without bhakti, which is always in the world, but without coming in touch with bhakti, no one can get any kind of liberation. But human beings by the very nature of human um, life, they introspect hmm. without bhakti. Brahma asked the question, who am I? Why am I? He wanted to know. Bhakti responded to give him a comprehensive answer. But the question didn't arise because of bhakti. Hmm. Vivek, discrimination, introspection, is not an anga of bhakti. Devotees are introspective, but vivek is, is, is an anga of gyanmarg, and the gyanmarg is driven by the sattvaguna, knowledge, and sattvaguna go together. And bhakti is driven by which guna? Pardon me? Yeah, nirguna. The nirguna. It's transcendental. It's, it's so... Um, Therefore, we can bring about a transcendental solution where knowledge of the Atma, which would be the height of introspection, that can come from Gyan, Sattva Guna. And that's a material influence. So within material, material nature, right, introspection will arise in human life independent of Bhakti. I often liken humans to, to a question, right? Why am I? Bhakti is really the comprehensive answer. So anyway, I, you know, I replied, I gave it. You know, and I just like, surprised because the person, other persons chimed in and said, well, I think it's like this, I think it's like that, I think it's like... I thought I just explained it, think, showed from the scripture exactly what, what's a satvagun, what's a nirgun, bhakti is nirgun, this is satvagun. And, uh, and so... They don't. They, they weren't understanding how to how to get the answer, and the whole idea is to understand what the scripture says. Okay, that's the siddhant. I'm going with that, and then leaving behind my own ideas, separating myself to some extent from my humanness, hmm? also, and I may act in ways other humans think. Oh, that's not very human, or whatever they may think. Hmm? But that's part of forming your spiritual uh, identity. Hmm? So it's important. Uh, rather, than just, rather than just 
kind of make it up as you go along. And I think, I feel, I hope, I wish, I'd like it to be like this. Hmm. What does the scripture say? And then some people would quote something for Prabhupada, and they didn't know what it was saying. You know, so, I thought, well, I was kind of wasting my time here. <laughs> uh, yeah, you think you're with, you want to be with a group of people who at least agree how to get an answer. Hmm. How to come to the where, which is what our Guru Maharaj Prabhupada taught us. You know, it has to be based on the Siddhanta. It's, it's an important thing. So, I've seen this, you know, in my days that that that, uh, um, that, that our humanness, if you will, and good part of the humanness, or kindness, and, and so forth, can also carry you away hmm? to a sentiment and, and so forth, and into again ministering to the to the symptoms rather than to uh, making a solution. So it's important to discuss these things when you, if you think that. You know, bhakti is dependent upon karma on the moral realm, and you, you get a problem, you get bhakti covered by karma. Hmm. And that's not what we're, we're teaching. So, those are some thoughts on on that. And, um, again, and we are involved in the culture of compassion, there's no doubt about that, and more. Look at our saints. What is, how compassionate was Prahlad? Praying for his father's upliftment and so forth, in spite of being tortured by him. Mahaprabhu was described by Rupa Goswami, Mahabhadanaya, most magnanimous, compassionate appearance of the Godhead in the world, in the form of a devotee. So, it's a big part of, of bhakti. But it has to be properly understood. What else? Yes. So is is, is bhakti tattva vivek kind of like like the gyan that you get the car going with, or if it's not? No, a bhakti tattva vivek means uh, that uh, to acquire some bandhagyan. Hmm. Knowledge about bhakti, knowledge about bhagwan. Hmm is part of bhakti. So if you want to do bhakti, then you want to get knowledge about the object of your bhakti, so knowledge about Krishna. And how? And what is the jiva tattva? What is the bhakti tattva? When we say that viveka is not an anga of bhakti, we're distinguishing it from viveka in Gyanmarg, where introspection in itself is, a, is an anga of the path. Obviously, in the context of bhakti, we're thoughtful, we learn the scriptures, and so on and so forth. We use our intelligence, we, we uh, discriminate. But my point is that discrimination, introspection, and so forth, will arise in humans as by the influence of the sattva-guna, independent of bhakti. Comprehensive answer won't come from the sattva-guna. Faith in the atma comes from, the, from sattva-guna. You, Sanatana Goswami makes the point you could become a self-realized person and not without bhakti but you cannot become Brahman realized 
God realized by without bhakti. So the famous verse of the Bhagavatam it's referring to the Jivan Mukta becomes liberated in this life. He's unplugged from the karmic fan, so to speak, but he disregards bhakti, so he can't, he can't attain his goal. So, Sanatana says, but so yes, it's true. You could become an Atmaram and derive pleasure from the self through introspection, detachment, so on and so forth. Different processes. He said, but so what? It's 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 an insignificant thing. That's what he says. It's not not even worth mentioning. It's an insignificant thing. And how long are you going to hover there? Right? It's a very... Uh, without bhakti, you can't enter Brahman or or enter the Vaikuntha worlds in, in some form. So, And it's very likely that some person will disregard bhakti and misconstrue it to be something like karma or something like that. So what if you reach the penultimate stage of the Gyanmarg? It doesn't count unless you make a touchdown. <laughs> you know, I came in second place. You mean you lost? It's a nice way of saying you lost. I came in second place. Okay. I mean, we're playing for keeps here, so. We want liberation. That's that was the goal, right? That was the goal. So you can't say I came close. Anyway, it really doesn't work, does it? <laughs> so, but anyway, the point is that introspection um, um, can arise independently of bhakti. The comprehensive answer is bhakti, and devotees are. Or, of course, naturally introspective, thoughtful. They study the scripture and they discriminate what is bhakti and what is not bhakti. Bhakti tattva vivek, what is the tattva of bhakti and what's not. And they penetrate on that and that's part of our culture. That's true. We call that hearing. <laughs> hearing, chanting, discussing these things. You understand? What else? I was wondering about the role of the bell. The role of the bell? The bell in Archon. Um, I know you know, heard it's to draw the attention of the deities. Um, I was wondering if that's all there is or there's something more to it. I haven't thought too much about that. Um, it's just like very glorified. It's just like, it's just like the bell. It's all useless. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's some, there's some real neat bells in, <laughs> in India at some of the temples. Bong, 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 bong. And that's the whole arctic. Bong, 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 bong. 
I think it's uh, it's like you know also making a sound and letting others know and, and bring attention like the bugle heralding you know and they say this angels got bugles or something don't they or something like that um, so trumpeting the the Lord is awake. Bang, bang, bang. Everyone else should wake up too. Bong, 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 bong. <laughs> <laughs> it's like that. In Vrindavan, there's 5,000 temples. Bong, 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 bong. Everybody's up. <laughs> For sure. Krishna got up. Everybody else should be getting up. Something like that. Pay attention. You know, Draw persons. Something like that. Okay. Sri Sri Gornatananda ki jai. Gaur Bhakta Vrinda ki jai. Gaur Pramanthi. Chalura ki jai.